This past week, I struggled a little bit finding something that was real pressing on my mind that I wanted to speak about. The week continued to roll on. I was doing some reading and came across some things that kind of spurred my mind in a direction that I hope is profitable to this, this morning. And that is on the subject of divine guidance. Divine guidance. And I want to share some thoughts about divine guidance, maybe some pitfalls of it or some things that the Bible tells us about it. And when you think about divine guidance, you know, we went, to, uh, we went to Yellowstone, I guess it was a couple years ago, and when we got out to Yellowstone, it was the first time I'd ever been or any, anybody in my family had ever been, so it was a little bit new to us, um, new, you know, new territory and, you know, different animals and just a different place than Alabama and what I'm used to, and so there's a couple things that, that we wanted to do, and one of those things was to, um, we wanted to go whitewater rafting, uh, which I had been a few times. Uh, not up there, but just around, you know, locally here, wherever you can go. I wanted to do some white water rafting. Uh, and we also wanted to go on like a tour of uh, just going through Yellowstone and where you uh, would most likely to see some of the wildlife that they have. You know, you're not going to see an elk and a bear or a wolf riding around here. Uh, you, you'll find some out there. And so that, those are two things that we wanted to do. And so we signed up to do those things. And um, both of those things... Uh, there was a guide to help us. Uh, now, white water rafting is, you know, you, you know, you kind of get in a boat and you get a little inflatable boat and you go down the, the river and there's rapids and stuff, but there's a little more to it than that. Uh, there are things you need to kind of try to avoid and there are things that you want to try to uh, make sure that you get to do while you're on that trip. And so I didn't know anything about doing those things, right? So what I did was we had a guide. We had somebody that knew what they were doing to take us down there, one of the things that they, um, you know, we'd be going down through there and, you know, you, well, we want to stay away from this side because, uh, you know, there's, there's some jagged rocks that are just under the water. So he would direct us to go to this side. And then we did something, I think it was called riding the bull. I can't remember exactly, but there's a little rope on the very front of the boat and you would get to go up there and hold on to the rope and put your legs over the front of the boat. And there were certain times where the, the, the rapids would hit just right and it would sling the front end of the boat up and it would be like in a, in a small kind of way riding a bull that was bucking and you had to hold on to the front of that boat. Well, he knew all the places to have all that kind of fun and how to do those types of things. I didn't know any of it. But he was our guide and he helped us. And then we left and we went to, a, um, to uh, the animal tour, the tour of the mountains and all that stuff. And then we get in this van and this girl helps us and she knew everywhere to go to see everything I guess because we didn't really see a whole lot but supposedly she was the one that knew about all right we'll go up here and take you here she knew the place she knew where the animals typically were and so she guided us through there and you know if any of you guys that ever hunt you know sometimes you can go off and pay for a, a hunt and uh, you may you may have a guide to help you uh, you know the boys and I were, have been talking lately about duck hunting I've, I've never been duck hunting don't know really the first thing about duck hunting. I love to hunt pretty much everything else, but I've never been duck hunting. And I told the boys, I said, well, if, if we decide to get into duck hunting, I'm going to have to have somebody that will go with us for a while to teach us how to do this because I don't know anything about it. And what I was telling them is I need a guide. I need somebody that knows something about it that can direct me and help me be successful in whatever it, we're trying to do. So a guide is something that everybody, you know, understands for the most part, and it's probably something you've experienced before. Now, when you read through the Bible, especially, especially in the Psalms, what you will find is you will find godly 
men and women asking the Lord for guidance, asking him to guide them through a particular situation or just life in general. It's very, very common. You read through the Psalms, you'll see a bunch of those things and you find throughout the Bible that God answers that prayer and that is a role that God plays in our life as he is a guide to us. Now, in the Old Testament, you find him doing that in, in, in a lot of different ways. For example, you find that Moses needed a little bit of guidance and the Lord comes to him in the form of a burning bush. And that whole exchange there was the Lord directing and guiding his path. You will also find times in the Bible where that the Lord guided men or directed men through visions and through dreams. Now, I'm not saying that I'm, I would never say that the Lord does not do that now. But it is not his habit to guide men through a burning bush. It is not his habit necessarily to guide men through dreams and through visions. But do you know how the Lord guided? If you go back and you read in uh, the book of Acts, the 10th chapter, how did the Lord connect Peter and Cornelius? How did he get those two brothers together? It was through visions with Cornelius and through a vision with Peter. And so the Lord guided those men and directed their path saying, this is where you need to go. This is what you need to be doing. And he did that through a vision or a dream. And so it is very clear that one of the desires of God's people should be to ask the Lord for guidance. And it is very clear throughout the Bible that the Lord is pleased to guide his people. As a parent, it would be a wonderful, wonderful blessing to have your children come up to you and say, I don't really know what to do here. I don't know what direction to go. I don't know what decision to make. Can you help me? Can you guide me and direct me on the path that I, that I need to go? That would be a huge blessing as a parent. Well, don't you know that the Lord is, is, is full of joy and is pleased when his children come to him saying, Lord, I need you to guide me. I need you to tell me what direction to go because I don't really know at the moment. Now, I want to give you just some, some, again, some pitfalls of guidance, divine guidance, and some things that you need to keep in mind. Number one, when we're looking for guidance, and listen, guidance could be really you name the subject, you name the topic of your life. There is room and there is a place for guidance in that area. I don't care what it is. There is a place for, the, uh, for us to inquire of the Lord. Now, obviously, some, there are some very big decisions out there that we must inquire of the Lord and ask him to give us guidance. But I don't think there's any area in our life that, we, that the Lord would say, that's ridiculous. Why are you coming to me for guidance? Every area of our life... We should go to the Lord in guidance. Now, in Psalms, the first chapter, that's where I want to start. One of the pitfalls that we find when it comes to finding a guide or guidance in this world is that we look for it in the wrong places. Psalms, the first chapter, notice here it says in the first verse, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly 
Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be, notice the contrast here, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now, here's the question. <clears throat> here's a man. Two men are contrasted here. Here is a man that says, I'm going to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Counsel there means advice or direction. He says, I'm going to get my advice. I'm going to get my direction from the ungodly. Well, what's the end all of the ungodly here? It says, the ungodly are like chaff which the wind driveth away. That's a no good. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, and the way of the ungodly shall perish. That does not sound like somebody I want to get advice from. That would be like your car giving you a little bit of trouble and going to the man whose cars are a wreck and destroyed and won't even crank. Listen, if you want to know something about how to solve a math problem, go to the person that knows something about math, right? Go to the person that knows something about math. If you are looking for guidance in your life, do not go to the person who walks in the counsel of the ungodly. Amen. And listen, that's everywhere. And, and here's the tricky part. Boy, the devil, we talked about this yesterday. Tiffany and I talked about this just a little bit. The devil is so crafty. And so sly. And believe it or not, the devil is crafty enough to have you 100% convinced that you're following the Lord when you are actually going in the exact opposite direction. Do you hear me on that? That ought to give us, a, make us want to pause and really, really think before we take a step in a direction. Because he can convince you, you are serving God and following God and you be going exactly the opposite direction. You remember what the Lord tells his apostles? He said, there will be a time coming that men will kill you and think they're doing God a service. All right, that's, that is living proof. Here are men that thought I'm doing God a service by murdering his apostles. So you don't think that you can't get so twisted up in your mind to think I'm absolutely 100% being guided by the Lord and be going in the exact opposite direction. So the counsel of the ungodly here, listen, the counsel of the ungodly do not stand before you, you know, dressed in their, in their vampire outfits and little, you know, devil worshiping uh, instruments. That's not what the counsel of the ungodly looks like. The counsel of the ungodly looks very appealing to us. Why? Because they're typically going to tell you what you want to hear. And if they're telling you what you want to hear, it's probably because you're listening to your heart, which is wicked and deceitful, which we'll get to in a minute. The counsel of the ungodly is very attractive to us. But the counsel of the ungodly and the words they speak, they must be tried by the fire of God's word before you listen to them and walk in their direction. If you, uh, you don't necessarily have to flip over there. In the book of 1 Kings, 
In the 12th chapter, there's a good example of a man who listened to the counsel of the ungodly. And you've probably heard this before. Solomon, which, is, which was the son of David, King David, Solomon, when David dies, Solomon becomes king. And when Solomon dies, his son is named Rehoboam. And when Rehoboam begins to take the throne, the men of Israel come to him and it says, they say, thy father made our yoke grievous. Now, therefore, make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke, which he put upon us lighter and we will serve thee. And he said unto them, depart yet for three days, then come again to me and the people departed. So here you have a new king. Uh, the Bible tells us he's about 40 years old when he takes the throne. A new king and the people that served his father come to him and say, listen, your father made it pretty difficult on us. We had to work very hard, but now you're the new king and we're asking you to be a little merciful to us, a little kinder to us and lighten the load of work that your father has put on us. And the new king, the relatively young king, says, give me three days to think about it, all right? And this new king, Rehoboam, he is gonna stand at a crossroad and down one road is the counsel of the ungodly. And down the other road is the counsel of wisdom. And so it says, <clears throat> King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon, his father, while he yet lived and said, how do you advise, I'm looking for some guidance, how do you advise that I may answer this people? All right. Step one, he got it correct. He did right. Listen, if I'm not telling you that some older, experienced people can't lead you astray. That's not what I'm telling you. But the odds of somebody that is older and experienced and having some wisdom, the odds of them leading you astray are far less than your peers leading you astray. Experience is a powerful teacher, okay? So he goes to the older people and they spake unto him saying, if thou, will, if thou will be a servant unto this people this day and will serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, they will be thy servants forever. All right, that's the advice that he gets from his wise, godly, experienced counsel. All right, he's looking for a guide and there's what one of the guides tells him. But he forsook the counsel or the guidance of the old men, which they had given him and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him and which stood before him. And he said unto them, what counsel give ye that we may answer this people who have spoken to me saying, make the yoke which thy father did put on a slider. And the young men that were grown up with him who had apparently zero wisdom and were terrible, terrible guides. But they kind of, through them, the devil kind of played on the pride of Rehoboam. And what they were telling him made him feel, made him want to stand a little taller. And it probably made him feel a little bit stronger and more powerful. And he liked that. You see, the old men were saying, humble yourselves before the men. Tell them that you'll do good to them. Well, that makes Rehoboam feel like a little guy. He goes to his peers and his peers say, you need to tell them thy father made our yoke heavy, 
But make thou it lighter upon us, thou shalt say back to them, my little, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. And now, whereas my father did lay you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father hath chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. You see, the young people are saying, no, 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 no. Don't humble yourself and come little, become little Rehoboam, not realizing all the while that a little Rehoboam in man's eyes is a big Rehoboam in God's eyes. They say, you need, to, you need to puff your chest out and say, I tell you what, if that's how you're going to be about it, I'll make it even harder. He chastised you with whips, I'll chastise you with scorpions. It makes him feel big and strong and powerful. A good example of that would be when you're thinking about how to reply to somebody that maybe has inquired something of you, there is a response that makes you feel big and them feel little. That's probably the counsel of the ungodly talking. There's a response that makes you feel little and humble. That's probably the guidance of the Almighty. Now, what happened to Rehoboam here? He goes to him. He listens to the counsel of the ungodly. And you know what the people say? <laughs> well, we're not going to serve you. If that's how you're going to be, we're going to leave. We're going to depart. Why? Because he listened to the counsel of the ungodly. So number one, when you are looking for guidance, do not seek the counsel of the ungodly. Don't seek the counsel of the inexperienced. Don't seek, typically, don't seek the counsel of the people that are your age. If you're a young person, obviously. Now, I'm not saying that a young person cannot be full of wisdom. Paul tells Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. In the book of Job, we see it is the young Elihu that actually brought truth and wisdom to the table. When the older men failed, I'm not saying that you can't, as a young person, pass along wisdom and guidance. Good guidance, I'm just telling you, Typically, what you will find is that you need to seek the older, wiser, more experienced people and listen to that counsel. Obviously, compare it to the Word of God, but be careful that you don't advise the counsel of the ungodly. Now, another point I want to make as you're looking for guidance in your life is this. And you think this is a no-brainer, but it is not a no-brainer. God's desire, God's will for your life will absolutely 100% never contradict his word, ever. Do you know that I've seen a few things throughout the years, and I can think of a couple of different examples where there maybe was a mother or a father who believed that the Lord was telling them to murder their children to protect them from this evil world. Uh, we got a problem there. You're saying that the Lord is guiding you, but the guidance you're receiving from this so-called Lord totally contradicts His Word. So something is wrong in the guidance that you think is the Lord. Because God's guidance will never contradict His Word. The Bible is very clear that there are a few biblical reasons for divorce. But we all know probably examples of people who did not have a biblical reason for divorce, but would say, I am convinced and I know that it is God's will that I leave my spouse and go to this other one. There's a problem there, right? What's the problem? Is that what you are saying is God's guidance for you contradicts what God's word says. 
It can't be both of them. Don't seek the counsel of the ungodly. And when you believe that God is guiding you in a direction, if it contradicts God's word, that is not the Lord guiding you in that direction. I think about Eve. If you think about Eve in the Garden of Eden, the Lord was very clear. Here's the law of the knowledge uh, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're not supposed to eat. And then Satan comes along who is subtle and he begins to say, actually, actually, God's desire is for you to 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 eventually be a God, to know the things, to be like God. Well, Eve should have said, well, say what you're telling me and what God's word has said, they don't line up. But see, from the very, very beginning, that is something that we fall victim to. Eve should have said, it is not God's desire. It is not God's will that I should do this because that would contradict what he's already told me. So God's word and God's desires for you and guidance will never contradict one another. Another point I want to give you is this. I want you to beware. Beware of your inner feelings. All right, that's a biggie. Beware of your inner feelings. Anytime somebody comes up to me and says, I feel like the Lord has just, has just told me this, I immediately go into cautious mode. Immediately. I'm not telling the Lord didn't tell them that. But I am very, very wary of people that go around all the time saying, oh, the Lord told me this, the Lord told me this, the Lord told me this, the Lord told me this. It may be true. But the Bible tells me this, that our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? As a matter of fact, it tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Now, I'm not telling you that when you get an unction from the Spirit to reach out to somebody and encourage them that that's not of the Lord. Now, that's not what I'm talking about. The Bible says that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. That's not what I'm talking about. Brothers and sisters, if the Lord puts somebody on your heart to reach out to them, to encourage them, that is of the Lord, okay? Some of the greatest moments of encouragement I have ever had in my life was because somebody somewhere listened to the unction of the Holy Spirit, put me on their minds, they reached out to me, and they had no idea at the moment that I was struggling with something, and it lifted me up. That is not what I'm talking about. As a matter of fact, I remember one night, I think I've told you this one night specifically, Tiffany and I were getting ready to go to bed. This has been several, several years ago, and I was really dealing with discouragement at the moment. I was battling it with discouragement. And we were in, in the middle of the conversation about discouragement. And my phone goes off, and it is a, a message from somebody that didn't even have my number. Didn't even have my phone number. Somehow they found me uh, through our Facebook account and sent a message to me. Somebody that I do not communicate with on a regular basis. As a matter of fact, I don't know that I'd ever communicated with them other than uh, rarely face-to-face. And in the midst of that trial of discouragement, this brother heard an, got an unction from the Holy Spirit and, for, and, and through the Holy Spirit 
he put me on that person's mind and that person acted on it and sent a message to me, very simple, very kind. And, it, and I just immediately started crying because there was no question in my mind that the Holy Spirit is working and is real. Now, you've probably experienced that to some degree before where either somebody puts you on their mind, uh, the, either, either the Holy Spirit puts somebody on your mind or puts you on their mind. It's not what I'm talking about. That's not the inner feelings that I'm talking about, okay? I want you to understand that. I'm talking about the inner feelings of the Lord has told me that I need to leave my spouse to go marry this other person. Now listen, that can be convincing. Very, very convincing to follow those inner feelings. But again, here's the problem. We carry around inside of us a heart that is deceitful above all things. And I explain it to you like this. <laughs> Have you ever read or seen uh, stories about people that uh, maybe uh, trained animals, trained bears, trained tigers, you know, trained these crazy animals that are not supposed to be, you know, sitting up on a stool, you know, standing up when you tell them to stand up. And, you know, I'm talking about huge animals, predators, people, you know, animals that eat people. And what you read about is, oh, I, you know, got old, you know, my little old bear over here that's, you know, 50 million pounds, and he's just my little buddy, and I love him. And, and I've raised him since he was a cub. And then what do you read the story? The bear turned on him, mauled him, and killed him. Why is that? Because there is something inside of that bear that is called an instinct. He is an animal and he has a, a, a natural animal instinct to attack and to kill. That's what bears do. I've heard the same stories with tigers. Oh, we raised little kitty since he was just a little bitty kitty. And, and, and guess what? He clawed my face off. Or, or people that have chimpanzees and they, they raise it and they just... Listen, it's because they have an instinct inside of them that at any moment something could trigger it and out it comes. And we have the same thing. And that is called our wicked heart. And at any moment, at any time, that wicked heart can take over your thinking, your feelings, and get itself in the driver's seat. And you may not even realize it's done it. That's why I tell you, beware of inner feelings. Inner feelings can lead you astray. Now, how do you combat that? How do you come? Well, I just I keep getting this impression, Brother Luke, that I'm supposed to go do this. I'm supposed to go do this. And I'm just convinced it's of the Lord. How do you combat that? How do you determine? Is that just an inner feeling that Satan is, is secretly trying to lead me astray? Or how do I know it's of the Lord? One of the best ways to determine that is to seek wise counsel. The Bible is full of examples and scripture that says in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Go to somebody and say, listen, you're older, you're wiser, you're more experienced. <clears throat> Here is what I'm feeling. And I'm convinced it's of the Lord. Talk to me about this. And don't just do it for one person. That's what I love about our church. We are among right now a multitude of counselors. People that I trust, that I would tell my children, if you don't believe what I'm saying... Go to this person, go to that person, go to that person, sit down with them and talk. And once you've talked to this multitude of counselors, then you might have more light on whether what you're feeling is really of the Lord.
Don't ever be so prideful to think that you cannot be deceived. You need to walk around convinced that you can be deceived. You need to walk around looking over your shoulder like, yeah, he can get me. He can deceive me. He can trick me. And I can go down a path sometimes that there's a, it's a path of no return. And he can take you down that path. And once you go down some path, there's no coming back. So before you take a step in any direction and base it off a inner feeling, consult the multitude of counselors that God has blessed us to have in this church and in this community. Now, something I touched on last week concerning divine guidance, uh, uh, talking about divine guidance, something that I touched on a couple weeks ago, is never underestimate the power of prayer in giving you clarity on where you need to be going, what you need to be doing, who you need to be marrying, what, what, whatever the case may be. Never underestimate the power of prayer. But listen, the point I made to you a couple weeks ago was that just because you pray doesn't mean that it's heard and accepted and just you know cuddled up to the Lord. It doesn't mean that. Because there are, there are examples in the Bible, and I talked to you in the, about the last part of Job, that, that there were three men that God specifically said, I will not accept their prayer because they have not done right by me. He told Job, but I'll accept your prayer. The Bible says... He that turneth his ear away from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. And my point was a couple weeks ago, you want the right people praying for you. I appreciate the sentiment of somebody coming up and saying, I'm going to pray for you. I appreciate that sentiment. Don't misunderstand me. But what I want is I want the people that have done right by the Lord praying for me. I want the people who the Lord is pleased with and have not turned their ear away from hearing the law. That's who I want praying for me. I talked with Brother Jim a little bit and he brought up a great verse after, after that sermon. And he said, you know, the Bible says that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now here's the question. What type of man's prayer avails much? A righteous man. The effectual, fervent prayer of any man? No. Of an unrighteous man? No. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So I will take one righteous man praying for me over 10,000 unrighteous praying for me. Because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, if you're looking for guidance and you're going to seek the Lord's guidance through prayer saying, Lord, I'm lost I don't know which direction to go. There are, a, there are a thousand doors open before me. And I could go into any of these doors, Lord, and I don't know which one to go to. Before you put confidence in your prayer, you need to make sure you've humbled yourself before the Lord. You need to make sure that you've begged the Lord to forgive you in this life of the sins that we've been committing against Him. You need to tell him you're a rot, ruined sinner and you are wanting to walk from henceforth on the path of righteousness and do it. And I believe that the Lord answers the prayers of his people when he asks for guidance. And what you will find over time is when you're looking at a thousand doors that are open to you is they just kind of, in some kind of neat way, a lot of them start closing. And the next thing you know, 
when at one point you were looking at a room full of a thousand doors, having no clue where to go through, which one to go through, all of a sudden you find there's one door open. That's how the Lord reveals his will a lot of times, which leads me to my last point here. Well, let me, let me give this before I get to give you this last point. When I say prayer, another way of saying that is inquire of the Lord. Have you asked the Lord? If you go to, I believe it's 1 Samuel, the 27th or 28th chapter, King Saul, who was rebellious who absolutely turned his ear away from hearing the law? How many times in the Bible do we have to read an account of King Saul turning away from the law and doing it his own way? Well, you know what it says as it gets close to the end of his life? You know what it says? It says, Saul inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him not. But David, on the other hand, you find David now, while not a perfect man, and while... David had sin in his life. You find David being repentant. You find David being a man that the Lord uh, says is a man after God's own heart. And time after time after time, David inquired of the Lord. And sometimes the Lord said, yes, here's what I want you to do. And sometimes the Lord said, no, that's not what I want you to do. David would say, Lord, do I need to go up against the Philistines and fight? Do I need to go over here and take this city? And the Lord guided him through that. Yes, go attack the Philistines. No, don't go try to take this city. Yes, do this. No, don't do that. And so David's reign, uh, David's time under Saul as he is preparing to become the king, David inquired of the Lord. Saul did too. But Saul didn't get the answer. Because Saul was not living the type of life Saul was supposed to be living. That ought to make you shudder a little bit. And it sure ought to make us want to live righteously. Now, the last thing I want to give you here when it concerns divine guidance is to be patient and wait. How many times in the Bible do we read about waiting on the Lord? Wait. It is typically... Typically, it is not the Lord's habit in the scriptures to immediately answer prayers and to immediately show you where you need to go. Because the Bible, that's why the Bible tells us so many times is to wait. Don't, don't, don't get impatient. Do you remember uh, say a month or so ago we talked about uh, when the Lord comes to Abram and the Lord tells Abram that I'm going to make a great nation out of you? And years went by, decades went by before the Lord made good on that promise. David, uh, the, uh, Samuel comes to David and anoints him as king, but it was, what, 25 years before David actually took the throne? Be patient. There's nothing will get you in a world of trouble quicker than becoming impatient. The Bible speaks many, many things about that. You think about in the book of Exodus, the deliverance that Israel has seen, uh, not only through being spared from the plagues, but being delivered from the hand of Pharaoh, being, being trapped uh, in the Red Sea, which they really weren't trapped. If you read about it, they went and they were at the very place God guided them to be. There's a lot of ways they could have gone out of Egypt, but the Lord tells Moses, take them here, take them here, take them there. 
Well, that doesn't make much sense to me, Lord, because that backs us up to the Red Sea with no place to escape. Yeah, that's right, Moses. That's right. That's exactly where I want to take them. You to take them because you don't know what I'm about to do. And we don't know what the Lord's about to do. And so he takes them to the Red Sea. The Lord parts it. They go through. They closes the sea up on the uh, Pharaoh and all the Egyptian army and the people are free, right? And they go just a little journey into the wilderness and Moses, you can read about this in Exodus, I think it's the 32nd chapter. I'm going to flip there for you. Great deliverances that they've seen more than any of us have ever seen. And in a very, very short time, Moses goes up into the mount. And what is Moses going up into the mount for? He is going up there to receive guidance. To get some guidance from the Lord. And it says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, don't be thinking years now, it wasn't years. The people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up and make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us out of the land of Egypt, we won't not what has become of him. Now, Keep that in mind. I'm going to flip over here to Psalms 106 chapter for just a second. They soon, this is speaking of that account, they soon forgot his works. Now notice this. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. You see that? Moses has left the people to go up into the mount to receive guidance from God. That this is what you need to be doing. This is what you don't need to be doing. And it says that they forgot his works and they waited not for his counsel. They got so impatient that even though we've seen all of these great things and there's no question in our mind, there shouldn't have been, that God is real and God fights for his people and God guides his people even though there should have been no question that that was the case, Moses tarries up in the mount and the Bible says they waited not for his counsel. They, didn't, they couldn't stand having to wait for an answer. They couldn't stand having to wait for guidance. And they said, let's just make us new gods. And so that's what they did. And that is the problem that we have in our life is that we want it now. God, I want to know what I'm supposed to do right now. I don't want to wait, Lord. I want you to tell me now. I want to know where I'm supposed to go. I want to know who I'm supposed to be with. I want to know how to resolve this issue. I want to know, I want to know, I want to know. And we quit waiting. Well, you know what? The room of a thousand doors, you remember that? It takes time to shut some of those doors. But once those doors begin to close, and I've been there. I've been there and I've run in a room and run out of a room. Run in a room, run out. I've I've done it. But I've also waited in other times. The uncertainty and the chaos and the confusion that you will heap on yourself by running in and out of doors till you think you have figured it out is terrible. But there is a great comfort and peace in just standing back and waiting and watching those doors close until there's only one left And then you are able to step through it. That is a tremendous feeling of peace. And it won't exhaust you. The Bible says that patience yields experience. Patience 
worketh experience. And experience worketh hope. And it says that hope maketh not ashamed. You know what the end all of waiting gets you? It gets you some great experience, which we all need. But uh, at the end of waiting is the precious prize of hope. That's what the Bible tells us. And hope is a wonderful thing. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that hope in our Lord is an anchor for our soul. You want an anchor? You want an anchor of hope that, yeah, I don't know. What, hey, what's the deal on this? I don't know. But I'm waiting. And at the end of my waiting, I believe there is hope waiting for me. And I'm just going to sit here and wait. And the last thing I want to do is forget his works and quit waiting for his counsel. Now, let me close with this. All of us need the guidance of the Lord. Have you asked him for it? Have you asked the Lord to guide and direct your steps? To give you clarity? To give you peace about certain decisions that you need to make? Have you asked him? If you, if you have, praise the Lord. Beware of the counsel of the ungodly. Understand that God's word and God's desire will never contradict itself. Never underestimate what the Lord can reveal to you through prayer. Beware of your inner feelings. You know, just these, these thoughts that you have about, oh, I'm convinced on this. Beware of that. And again, I'm not talking about encouraging your brother or sister. And don't get impatient. If you have to wait 10 years before the Lord brings clarity to a decision, well, guess what? You're 10 years closer to being with Him in heaven. So praise God on that. Don't be impatient. I would love to think in my life, in your life, in my family's life, children's life, that we could all just sit back with a great confidence that I don't know where I'm going to step, but I'm not going to step till my God tells me to step. I've heard a, a friend of mine recently went on a big hunting trip um, in Montana, and uh, he had to go out on horseback, and they would go uh, miles and miles and miles every day on horseback, and, and they weren't walking down you know, these pine thickets of Alabama. They were on the sides of mountains on little bitty trails. And this guy said, you know, I was scared to death where these horses were going, you know, they were stepping in rocks and moving and rolling and, and this, the horses seemed unsteady. And his guide, his guide said, you just got to trust that this horse knows what he's doing. That this horse has been up and down this trail so many times, he knows where to put his feet. He knows how to keep him and you from rolling down the side of the mountain. Well, <laughs> there's a great comfort in that for me that this horse knows and it's no different with us. The Lord knows. The Lord knows. And if we will let the Lord guide us, no matter how unstable things seem for us, if we follow these principles and don't allow ourselves to be swept away by the counsel of the ungodly, in due time, that's what the Bible says, that He will exalt you in due time. That means we got to wait. I hope that that's been profitable for you. And if there's one or more here who would like to become a part of this church, we'll give you that opportunity now.